Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Good morning, church. The peace of Christ be with you. I'm Pastor Randy Lovelace, and I serve here as pastor, and it's great to be with you this morning. And I want to take this opportunity as well to welcome those who are joining us on the live stream. Grateful to see all of you here this morning as we're gathered together. The school year has begun, eh, but we're glad to be here together. And I want to take this opportunity as well to, uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time or the first several times, the month of August, we like to devote to going again and reminding ourselves of our vision statement and why we are here and what we believe God has called us to do. Our vision statement here at Christ Community Church is to make and mobilize disciples of Jesus to love, to serve, to grow, to renew. And in this month, we're taking each one of the Sundays and we're devoting those to these verbs. Last week, we began with making disciples to love. This week is making disciples to serve. And each week, we're going to have an example in video of one of our families and the way in which this verb has been lived out in their lives in our midst. This week is to serve, and this is one of our families who are serving in our midst. We just really wanted other people to experience what we had. At the time, we were working in Nashville, living in Franklin, and we knew we wanted to plant our roots here in Franklin. So a coworker of mine actually invited us. And the first Sunday we came, we actually saw several people we knew um, and just kind of immediately felt like home and have been here since. Yeah, when when we first started attending, we were uh, really involved in the young adults ministry and were really loved by people there. But in the summer of 2021, we had Ezra and um, the needs of our family changed pretty significantly around that time. After a few months, Ryan and I decided as a couple, we really wanted to get back to church and back into worship. And so we decided it was time to try Ezra out in the nursery. And as new parents who are sleep deprived, there's always that nervousness and apprehension of leaving your new baby with just anybody. So I remember going to pick him up after that first service. I made a beeline to the nursery, feeling a little anxious, nervous to see how it went. And I remember the nursery worker immediately told us, you know, what a good time he had and how cute he was and just the instant relief that washed over us. Through all that, we um, started to meet other, other families and other couples that were in the same walk of life that we were. And um, just started to make friendships and communities through that. And uh, we just realized that other people were having, going through a lot of the same struggles and um, a lot of the same things that we were. And uh, so we just decided we really wanted to serve um, the way that we had been served. And I'm Ryan Sons. And this is Ezra. And we just wanted to thank you, Christ Community, for serving us and allowing us to serve others through you. I can't imagine how their hands are full with Ezra. (laughs) He was the real star of that. And uh, grateful for Ryan and Courtney and for Ezra and the way they've served in our midst. 
Where is it that we ground our mission statement? It is in the Gospel of Matthew. It is a familiar one, but it is one we're reading each Sunday this week, this month, and it is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Now hear the word of God. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And now the companion text as we consider what was it that Jesus taught concerning the life of service for the disciples and by extension for all who call the name Jesus. Matthew chapter 20, just a few chapters earlier, prior to Jesus going into Jerusalem, he heard the disciples arguing with each other about who was going to have the better position. How are they going to have a place of honor? How are they going to be able to use their closeness of relationship to their advantage? Jesus, hearing them talk amongst themselves, he had the following to say to them. When the ten heard that these disciples were asking Jesus for a position, they were indignant. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, we now ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in the lives of those who call upon you, and the work and power of your Holy Spirit that works together with your word, I pray that we would know your grace and your mercy that calls us to follow in the way of Jesus, to serve others. Help us, Lord, to do that from a place of love and not a place of performance. Help us to hear the words of Jesus And may you, Jesus, by your spirit, renew us as a part of your global body as we are grappling and wrestling with, but we look to say, Jesus, what does it mean to follow you? Help us, we pray. Help the teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look together at this passage this morning and as we are together in this series, Soul Pursuit, what is it? That is our pursuit. Our pursuit is what we believe Jesus has called us to. And that is to pursue souls that we might all be called as disciples of Jesus. Every member, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus is called to a life of discipleship. And as we looked at last week, core to that discipleship is learning what it looks like to have a life of love. As Jesus prayed for those who would believe because of the testimony of the Gospels and of the disciples. 
But as Jesus told his disciples that they are to go and to baptize, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, it begs the question, well, what is it that Jesus commanded? And of course, we know over and over again, Jesus is called to us to love, but it is also the call to service. This was something that I'm so grateful that we get to see in the life of the disciples. They simply did not get until after the resurrection. It's clear in the midst of the gospels, when the heat is being turned up on the life of Jesus, they were the slowest to actually get the fact that following Jesus meant taking the path of weakness, not the path of power and a path of glory. This was something that they would wrestle with. But it is, as I said from the words of Dallas Willard, the great omission that we often forget that it isn't just that we are called into the kingdom of Jesus to enjoy salvation, but rather we're called as people into the kingdom of Jesus to enjoy salvation and the forgiveness of sins, but to walk in the way of the kingdom. And the way of the kingdom is the way of Jesus. So this morning as we look at the making disciples to serve, let's break out what then does he mean for us when he calls us to serve. First, we're going to look at partaker versus copycat. Partaker versus copycat. So when Jesus tells his disciples that they are to go and to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, it would be easy to understand that is that to serve means we have to have a checklist like Becca shared a few minutes ago. A checklist of things that I now need to go do to demonstrate to Jesus and to others that I'm a Christian because this is what Christians should do or ought to do. And service then becomes performance very subtly. But what is service? And what does Jesus mean, oh, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you? What is interesting is if you go back and look at the ways in which Jesus taught them and commanded them, it was by the way he lived his life, not through a checklist of things they need to follow. He meant to draw them into himself and into his way, which means this, that Jesus is calling us to be partakers, which means we ought to follow first and foremost, not a checklist, but how did Jesus actually live? What was the way of the lamb? It's right there for us in those sections of that last parting words that he gave to the disciples. Again, this is what he says in 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's not suddenly Jesus had power. Jesus has eternally been Jesus. Jesus as the son of God had glory, honor, authority, and strength. And yet what he chose to do with his position was not to leverage it over others. He didn't beat down. He didn't punch down. He didn't leverage his position to get other people to do for him 
Rather, we learn just a few chapters earlier that Jesus tells his disciples that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what's really interesting and something for us to remember, we want to treat the scriptures like a phone book or a Google search. Just give me the top five things I need to do. And that's what it means to be a Christian. The good news is it can never be simplified that way. The hard news is it actually requires our imagination. Because the disciples were wanting what? They were wanting position versus partaking of the way of servants. In some sense, they didn't realize it. They were merely copycatting servanthood. They, weren't, they were less interested in partaking the way of Jesus. They were impersonating servants. But when push came to shove, what do we find them arguing about? Way late in the Gospel of Matthew, as well as in the Gospel of Mark, we hear that first in Matthew, according to Matthew, it's the mother of the sons of Zebedee, John and James. But in the Gospel of Mark, it's John and James who come to Jesus. Either way, the reality is they're coming to Jesus and asking him to give them a place of honor, a place of position. He actually says, what do you want? Of course, he knew what they were actually arguing about. He says to them once he realizes, hey, we, we, you want a place of position? You don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? Meaning the only way that Jesus has been entrusted with all authority over the kingdom is that he has shown himself as one who's become a servant of all. They want to impersonate a servant so that they can get to the position. They want to wield the power first for themselves, even over against the other disciples, because as soon as the other disciples heard about this, they were not happy. The text tells us in very basic English, they were indignant. Oh, I bet they were. You know how you feel when you find that someone on your team at your place of work is looking to position to get into a place where someone in power can give them advantage over you. When someone's seeking advantage for their own good, despite you, especially if you're in a close relationship with them, even on the same team, you feel betrayed. That's exactly what's happening in the ranks of the disciples. And it utterly demonstrates they not only don't get what Jesus is teaching, they most certainly have not understood that what he's calling them to is to partake his way of life. They want the results without the hard work of what it takes to get there. They want to use power for themselves. And Jesus would not have it. And he gives them the example of how power is wielded in their context. People in political power, people in places of position, use it to lord over others. And he uses that as an example to say, this is not the way you partake of my kingdom. 
My kingdom has all the authority over all kingdoms, and yet my kingdom is going to be sown in weakness. It's going to look like the Gentiles and the world has won, but I tell you the way of weakness is the way of strength. The Son of Man, an Old Testament designation of honor, the Son of God, of Yahweh, says he did not come to be served. Right there, before he ever goes to the cross, he's showing us, as he's showing the disciples, the way of partaking of me means you give up your grasping for power and position. And he says, you must learn to be a slave of all. Jesus uses the least of these designation as the grand moniker of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What is clear to us is that Jesus wants us to partake of the way before we think about what we ought to do. It is an attitude of the heart before it becomes actions of the hand. And this is the hard work of discipleship because it's not the way of the world. The way of the world is resume. The way of the world is achievement. The way of the world is our hard work and standing up on our own achievements so that we can have advantage and access and place and, res and designation and recognition. And then suddenly we're greeted with a redeemer and with a savior who says, that is not my way. And from this point, Jesus then goes and he heals two people who are blind. He goes right out of teaching that he came to serve and not to be served by going to the least of these around them, those who would have been pushed aside, those who would have had all forms of injustice and oppression poured over them, mocked, scorned, all kinds of false cures and healings that would have somehow brought their sight back, likely rejected by their own families and destitute. He comes right out of that and he shows them. He's not telling them to go and do likewise. He's showing them the way. How can you make space for someone other than yourself? Where are we making space for someone other than ourselves? But before we can even answer that question, Jesus doesn't only want us to see that he's calling us to be partakers versus copycats. He also wants us to see that he's after our person well before we ever ask him what our position will be. Jesus is always far more concerned with our person before our position. In other words, when he asks the disciples, what do you want? 
That is a question that is so simple, yet so packed. He knows by their argument and by what they're going to request that Jesus is actually asking underneath this question, who do you want to become? What kind of person do you want to become? We know this, or at least I believe we can see that that's what he's after, because he then shows what people have become when they achieve power and recognition and authority and access. The human heart is corrupt and sinful without recognizing and embracing that truth, everything we touch then becomes easily corrupted and turned towards sinful purposes. And so he uses people as an example who are in places of authority and recognition and designation and access. And he says, look what they have become. And he's not talking about their position. He's talking about the person's that are inside their positions. It's not because they have power that they dominate. No, it's the person that they brought to the role. Jesus doesn't care. Let's start big. Jesus doesn't care how big our churches are, how big our budgets are, how many people are sitting here on a Sunday, how great the preacher is or isn't, how great the music is or isn't. It doesn't matter. Our resumes don't matter. Our children's success doesn't matter. Our achievement doesn't matter. If all we are are people who have those things, we fail the test at the beginning that Jesus is about position and not person. This is easy to build. This inside here, which no one else can see, and I can't see yours, is the hard work of asking Jesus, Jesus, I know what I want. I want access. I want that lottery ticket. I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it, where I want. That's just straight up acknowledging. I'm weary, I'm tired, my checklist is too long, I'm exhausted, can I just get enough to have a break? The next job, the next house, the next school, the next degree, yes, absolutely, that's what I want. The next person, the next relationship, yes, that's what I want. When Jesus asks us what we want, It is time, time, time for us to get really honest and ask, what is it that I really want? What kind of person do I want to be? And if we scratch the surface about what we daydream about, we find out very quickly. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is inviting us in. What do you want? Meaning, what kind of person do you want to be? And in so doing, I would suggest we who call on Jesus 
as Redeemer must reckon with the choice that the great writer and pastor Eugene Peterson used in his book, Reverse Thunder. He said this connection, this choice. He says, we choose. We can follow the way of the dragon and his beasts along their parade route, conspicuous with the worship of splendid images, elaborated in mysterious symbols, fond of statistics, taking on whatever role is necessary to make a good show, to get the applause of the crowds in order to get access to power and become self-important. Or we can follow the lamb along a farmyard route, worshiping the invisible, listening to the foolishness of preaching, practicing a holy life that involves heroically difficult acts that no one else will ever notice, in order to become simply our eternal selves in an eternal city. It is the difference between wanting to use people around us to become powerful and entering into covenants with people around us so that the power of salvation extends to every part of our neighborhoods, the society and the world that God loves. When he asks the disciples, who do you want to be? He is inviting them to follow in his way. And that the persons that he's calling us to be are a people who consider others greater than ourselves. Who see all that we have as a gift that we are stewards of and not owners of to consider others, the person across the welcome desk or across the Starbucks counter or in our place of work or in the places where we go to school or in our neighborhoods and saying, who am I being called to serve because of who I'm being called to be? Jesus is far more concerned about what we're becoming as persons than in our position. If we skip over that, we will always use our position for self-importance. But how do we get there? I believe we get there by being grounded in grace. And I want you to stick with me for just a minute. Connected to these verses in chapter 20 of Mark, where he says, The Son of Man came to serve and not to be served. And asking them, What kind of person do you want to be? A partaker of the way or a copycat? This is something that would be a narrative that would be repeated throughout the New Testament landscape. And one of those parts of that landscape is Philippians chapter 2. And in Philippians chapter 2, we hear that the way to become a partaker of the way of Jesus, to become the person who is called to serve, is grounded in nothing less than the grace of Jesus. Paul says to the church at Philippi, 
If anyone has any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. In verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now hear these words. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So let me ask you this question this morning. What name then has Jesus been given? Pop quiz. What name has Jesus been given according to this text? Anyone? Say it. Anybody? Servant. That's the name he's been given. What else? Come on. We can work. This, I know this is a classroom. Wake up. We go. What, he, what name has he been given? Lord. Who said Lord? Good. Lord. Because we sing in the church, Jesus, every name, Jesus, Jesus is, and Jesus is a great name, but it's coming from the Hebrew word Yeshua, meaning Joshua or Savior. But there's a name that is higher yet. And that name is Jehovah. That name that Jesus has achieved by giving himself for us is a name that is above all names. Jesus is God, and God, it tells us in this text, became nothing, taking the form of a servant so that you and I can receive something that can never be taken away because it is never achieved. It is a gift. And that is the gift of being called a child of the living God. That through the cross of Jesus, the verdict has been given. We are free from sin and death through the blood and the cross of Jesus. God made himself nothing to take the form of a servant so that you and I get to be free. And from that new verdict, we now are free to be servants of everyone because it's no longer about our achievement or our resume or our position. Therefore, our acts of service aren't achieving anything. They're working out of a place that has been achieved for us through the work of Jesus Christ. Pastor Timothy Keller wrote 
a long time ago in his little booklet, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Do you realize that it is only the gospel of Jesus Christ that you get the verdict before performance? The atheist might say that they get their self-image from being a good person. They're a good person and they hope that eventually they will get a verdict that confirms that they're a good person. Performance leads to verdict. For the Buddhist, too, performance leads to verdict. If you are a Muslim, performance leads to verdict. All this means that every day you're in the courtroom. Every day you are on trial. That is the problem. But Paul reminds us that Christianity at its heart says the verdict always leads to performance. It is not the performance that leads to the verdict. You see, now we get to serve because we have been served ourselves through the love of God in Jesus Christ. Because he loves us and accepts us, we do not have to build ourselves up with our resumes. I do not have to have things to make me look good. I can do things for the joy of doing them. I can help other people to help people, not so that I can feel better about myself, not so that I can fill up an emptiness. The gift of the gospel is the freedom of not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. He came to free us from ourselves and the sin that so easily entangles, that corrupts and makes us performers and copycats and impersonators for our own sake. But he frees us from sin through the cross to be a servant in hidden places that many of you may never see or may never be seen. I close with this. This week, we lost a dear servant in the Lord. Her name is Misha Hunky, a longtime member of this congregation. But Misha oftentimes is not known by lots of adults, but she was known for decades through her selfless and hidden service with our student ministry. There are many in our congregation who are grieving because her years of selfless, quiet, hidden, faithful service came not from a place of position, but from a heart that had been transformed through the cross of Christ. She went to be with the Lord on Monday night, way too early. We will remember her this coming Tuesday afternoon. We're praying for the student ministry and for those who she loved and those who loved her. The story that the sons were telling earlier, they wanted to serve in ways that they were served. Friends, it doesn't mean you need to go and volunteer in the student ministry, though they would welcome it. Children's ministry, though they would welcome it. There are so many countless ways to serve. We don't lack for places to serve to make the love of Christ known. There is the question, what kind of people is he calling us to be? 
This isn't to be a staff-led church and everybody else a consumer. He has a place for you to serve in your neighborhood or in your school, your place of work, your relationships. The Lord will answer that. But I pray that he would free us and renew us through the cross of Christ. That if the, if Yehovah, Yeshua, Jesus made himself nothing, that we might have life, how much more then have we not been freed up to serve? May the Lord do that in us. Let's pray together. Lord, we rejoice at the gift we've been given of the gospel of grace that tells us the verdict is in because Jesus has died for us. Therefore, we are free to serve, to consider others better than ourselves, to give ourselves away that the love of Christ might flow out. Show us the way of the Lamb and make us a people transformed from the inside out to be the people and followers of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.